Well, good morning again. Um, would you guys turn in your copy of stri- Scripture to uh, Titus? We continue our study through this letter to Titus from Paul to the church in Crete. And we'll be looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16 this morning. This is God's word. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Let me pray for us as we get started. Father, we do thank you that you remind us again and again, week in and week out, uh, of the gospel uh, every Sabbath day. And so we thank you for that, and we see it as a gift from you to us. And so I pray that we would take advantage of it. God, give us ears to hear this morning and hearts and minds to understand uh, the message that you have from us from your word. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I was recently having a conversation with my wife on our porch, and as often happens, um, because we have four children, one of them will come out and listen to our conversation. And so as often happens, because we have four children, I will change the story in such a way that it makes whatever child listening think we are talking about them. So this particular instance, I said about... uh, about this particular child, that we were going to send her to boarding school. Little, I know, gets rumbling in here like it did something wrong. Um, little did I know it was a parent fail uh, because she went inside and cried. She did not know I saw her looking out the door um, while we were having a conversation. I'll be teaching a parenting class later this month um, <laughs> if you guys want to learn from me. Um, but what I had, what what had happened was was that she heard someone whom she trusted, or at least she thought she trusted, uh, say something pretty definitively. And the only way that, I could, that, that she could uh, really have a heart change was, if I w- was for me to go inside and remind her of the truth of who her parents are, and that we love her, and that we would never do anything like that. But I believe this is something that we all struggle with. We all struggle with being able to discern and know the difference between truth and lies or truth and falsehood. Even when it's, when it's coming from the teaching we find in the church today. So it could be from this pulpit right here, but also teachers and preachers and authors that you read who are telling you uh, different things. And I believe our passage today helps us in this endeavor. It it helps us to discern because it helps us to identify that who people are and what those people believe really affects what they teach 
and how they live their life on a day-to-day basis. So we, we do this by looking at what we are hearing and reading through the lens of the gospel, quite simply. And Titus chapter 1 tells us this. It, last week, Sammy preached on um, verses 5 through 9, which is a, uh, a, a, a uh, qualifications for elders in the church. These are the elders that you should put in place, the leaders that you should put in place in the local church in Crete and how we do it even today. And Paul is essentially saying these are men who are to be examples of true Christianity. Yes, they're not perfect. It's, it's a high bar that has been set. But these are men that are to be examples of true Christianity. And then in our passage today that we just read, Paul gives us the complete opposite look. And he's saying these are the men that are an example of false Christianity or false religion that's not true And so I want to look at two aspects of false teachers today, because it is still very relevant to us today. These aren't just false teachers that were just in Paul's day and and affected the church. It's happening right now as we speak. And so I want to look at it in two ways. One is we want to look at the character of false teachers and the living or the deeds of false teachers. And the reason I believe this is something that is really important for us to look at is I believe that one of the greatest dangers to the church today is not blatant heresy, okay? That people are just blatantly saying things that you know just are obviously not true, and we can walk away from that. What I believe the greatest danger in the church today is diluted Christianity. Surface-level, watered-down spirituality is the great danger of the American church today. Meaning, churches become more concerned with with hype and numbers than they are with truth and humility. Churches become more concerned with how they will be perceived and accepted by the culture at large more than they are about preaching the clear gospel message and discipling people really, really well. I don't care how many t-shirts and bumper stickers that a place gives out. It does not give that place validity. I know some of you are disappointed because you thought you were going to get CPC stickers, but sorry. Um, that was a joke. Even if, the, even if the teaching sounds really good and people are being helped at times, we must keep in mind that even a slight departure from the gospel, from sound doctrine, is very, very dangerous. And so this is why I think it's really important for us to look at these things about false teachers. So first, their character. Look, look with me back at verse 10 and then verses 12 through 13. Paul says, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. And then verse 12, Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore. Rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. New York Times columnist David Brooks has recently wrote a book titled The Road to Character. And in the intro of his book, and also in an article that you can find online, he talks about two sets of virtues in a person's life, okay, dealing with character. One is resume virtues, and the other is are, are eulogy virtues. Okay, resume virtues, if you are a university student, that is what you are training for right now. They are building you up to to build a good resume so that you can go out into the marketplace and make a difference in in, in your work and what you do. 
And so that's what you're getting trained to do. And then you have eulogy virtues, and these are things that, you, that people will say, or at least you hope people will say about you when you die at your funeral. So he was a trustworthy person, he was kind, he was loving, he was a good father, he was a good husband, all of those things. And most of us want to live for eulogy virtues. But more often than not, I know in my own life, we end up living for the resume virtues. And we end up looking and acting very, very shallow. So why does this even matter? Why does it even matter to talk about character? Why would a man spend his time writing a 250-page book on character? And the reason, I think, is that a person's character is where we begin to see who people truly are and what they believe and then how they live that out in their day-to-day Life, And this is what Paul does when he's describing these people to Titus and to us. So I think we should listen carefully to what Paul is saying about these false teachers' character. The first thing he says in verse 10 is that they are rebellious. Essentially, they are refusing to listen to and rejecting and obeying right teaching. They're rebellious. They scoff at right doctrine and good theology, even making fun of it probably. Second, they are mere talkers or empty talkers. Their words are empty and unhelpful to the church at large. And I think it's unhelpful because it really achieves no real depth. I mean, Paul is saying here, it's empty. There is nothing to it. And it's achieving no real depth. And then Paul says, they are deceivers. So the only thing their words do is deceive people or lie to people, lie people into believing a false story. So essentially, it is pushing people away from the, the gospel oh, and, and, and pushing them towards uh, lies and false teaching. And so we see, this isn't, these are strong words that Paul comes out. Paul does not usually take things very lightly when he's describing people, especially people who are assaulting the church. But Paul's description of the character of these false teachers is confirmed even by the Cretans' own prophets. And Paul, because Paul reads so broadly, he knows this about the Cretans' prophets. He says down in verse 12 that your own prophets say about you, you are always liars, you're evil brutes, and you're lazy gluttons. And now, what we see here is not just a social stereotype by Paul that he's bringing up and saying, look, here, you're, all the Cretans are like this. He's pointing to these false teachers and saying, no, you guys are living up to this prophet's prophecy. And so this is a damning critique of the character of these false teachers because, A, they are not, they're not sound in the faith. They're not believing right theology and good theology, essentially the gospel, and they're rejecting the truth and teaching what Paul calls Jewish myths. So they're mixing these Jewish myths in with biblical Christianity, and then that's what they're giving to people. And essentially, they're just teaching them lies. And that for the sake of dishonest game, just for money, for money's sake. And so this affects the way in which they live their life. It's not just things that they say, but it's also what they do. And so if you look at verses 11 and then 14 through 16, we see how these false teachers live their life. Verse 11 says, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. 
and that for the sake of dishonest gain. And then look at verses 14 through 16. And will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So Paul tells us in these verses what the lives of false teachers look like. The first thing he says is that they ruin whole families. And Paul essentially is saying that what they are doing with these lies is they are poisoning families with false teaching. And as one person says, the institution most essential to conserve is the family. And so Paul is essentially saying that when they are destroying whole households, they are striking at the very core of the local church there in Crete. And that's still true even to this day. The second thing that Paul says is that they listen to the commands of men or the commands of people. Simply put, this is again, this is them taking these commands um, out of context and these things that, that people have just made up. They're mixing them with biblical Christianity and then that's what they're giving away to people and that's what they're doing. So they're, reject, they're rejecting the truth of the gospel for these commands of men. And then that leads into having a false understanding of purity. John Calvin said about this particular verse, As soon as any person shall begin to listen to fables, he will lose the purity of faith. So this, that means when we allow ourselves to believe or listen to, or listen to teaching that Christ is not enough for our salvation, we too can fall into the, tra- the trap of taking away from or adding to the gospel just so it meets our fancy. So wherever we're at, we want to say, oh, well, I'll take that away because I don't like that. Or I'm going to add this because this makes me feel more affirmed and makes me feel better about myself because I can check a box. That's not biblical Christianity. And that's what these guys were doing. So they were not pure in what they were doing. And then finally, Paul says they claim to know God, but deny him by their actions. And this seems to sum up the lives of these false teachers really, really well, is that what is coming out of their mouth doesn't match how they're living. And so it's a pretty, it's a pretty good over um, uh, statement of what these people are doing and how they are living their lives. They're hypocrites, essentially. But I think one of the first things you have to understand about these teachers is that these teachers are found in the church in Crete. These are not just a group of guys over here just kind of muttering these false things and these lies. These are people that actually were in the church. Elsewhere in scripture, you see Paul talk about these men have already infiltrated the ranks. They have already entered into the church and they are teaching these things. That's how they're getting in there and uh, deceiving people with their lies. So here are teachers in the church teaching and living hypocrisy. And C.S. Lewis wisely said, of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. Because religious men can teach in a way that could be perceived as good, surface level. It's good, it sounds good, right language. It sounds very religious and very familiar. But I think the reality that we must recognize about false teachers is that they are not easily identifiable. 
A false teacher is not walking in here with a false teacher pin on his lapel saying, look at me, I'm, I'm going to teach you a bunch of lies. That's not it at all. They look just like you and I. And the same was true about these teachers in Crete. They wore the same clothes. They had the same culture. They spoke the same language uh, that was very familiar and comfortable to the people in Crete. So much so that they were actually listening to the teaching. Yet we see in these verses that Paul gives us a description that helps us see that their belief system is really false. So much so that it's corrupted their mind and their conscience. And and Paul says in verse 16 that they can do nothing good. So they are completely corrupted through and through, 100%. And John Stott says of this, he says, This is ritual without reality, form without power, claims without character, and faith without works. So how do we respond to all of this? And so trying not to give you more of a checklist that you can kind of add to the gospel. I'm just going to give you some things that we already do on a week-to-week basis and how we can respond to false teaching. Because as John was saying that we, we do, we, we doubt. We doubt. And the reason why we doubt is because we believe lies. And those things infiltrate our own minds and our own hearts. And so that's why we need to come here each week and to be around the body of Christ to be reminded of the gospel. And so just to give you four things that will help in this. One is um, trusting your elders and praying for them. We have men that we elected as a body to come and serve this church as our elders. And this is not just a mere formality because this guy is good looking or this guy is a really good businessman. No, these are people that we saw biblically, and look back at, looking back at Titus 5 through 1, 5 through 9, biblically come in to take on false teaching. These guys have been elected to feed the flock, shepherd the flock, and protect the flock. This is why Paul says, the reason I left you in Crete, Titus, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders. It's a very important part of the local church. The second thing is, test the teaching. Is the teaching that you are receiving from this pulpit and from other venues, so you may listen to podcasts on a weekly basis and the books that you read, are these things pushing you towards the cross or are they pushing you away from the cross? Are they, are they doing that? Is it helpful to you? Or is it just this surface level kind of Christianity, this deluded Christianity? Does the teacher or preacher teach from the Bible? That might sound really obvious, but I've seen men get into the pulpit, get up on stage with absolutely nothing in their hands. No copy, of, not even an iPad. No copy of scriptures, no notes, nothing. And I would be very, very cautious about listening to teaching coming from that particular person. All right, the third thing is, and John kind of touched on this a little earlier, is that listen listen to the liturgy. So as a church, we want to give you guys a gospel language to combat these lies that we're hearing in our culture. And the way we do this, one of the ways that we do this is through the liturgy. So you have a sheet, a worship sheet there that you get when you come in. That's just not something we do because that's what churches do. We do that to help you. John and Kenny and David spend a lot of time putting that stuff together as a help to you. 
so that we can begin to have this gospel language and we can be reminded of the gospel, not just because we're reciting the Apostles' Creed week in and week out because we forgot to put something in to fill that space and we're saying, just throw the Apostles' Creed in there because everybody knows it and we can just do it. No, we do that to remind ourselves of the gospel. We do that to remind each other of the gospel. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to stand in the front and hear you guys reciting that because it encourages, it really does, it encourages me in my own faith. And that's why we do that. So I would say week in and week out, don't check out during the liturgy, but really engage in it and listen because it helps to give you a gospel language. And then fourthly, I would say community. We do have life groups here that sometimes we forget to remind you guys of, which is a big part of our church, that these are just smaller communities that gather uh, weekly to simply do this, to remind each other and to encourage each other in the gospel. And so I would, I would encourage you that if you're not involved in a life group, to get involved in one. It's a big part of the life of this local church. And just as I had to remind my daughter of the truth of who her parents are, our Heavenly Father reminds us through these things of the gospel so that we can discern what is true and what is false. Let me pray for us. God, we do thank you that you give us your word, that even when we come to passages that may not seem that relevant to us, you remind us that they are, that falsehood and lying and hypocrisy and deluded religion is pervasive in our culture and we can fall easily prey to it. And so God, I pray that you would protect us through the local church, that you would protect us through your word being read and preached and sung week in and week out, that we would be reminded of the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners such as us. And so I pray that you would do that in us as a church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.